and uh, Stephen. And also, we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Very good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You tuned in to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Zikona Miso and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz. That's on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Today on the show we'll be discussing media freedom in the African continent. But before we get into that, let's get an update from the news desk with Anne Musa. In the headlines, Zimbabwe's ANU-PF defends its victory in last week's elections. American mediators extend their visits to Cairo to mediate between the Muslim Brotherhood and Egypt's interim authorities. And young people's voices are reflected in discussions on shaping the future. Good morning. Zimbabwe's ANU-PF has defended the fairness of its victory in last week's elections. The latest challenge to the polls comes from Botswana, which says it will urge regional body SADC to audit the vote in its neighboring state. Western countries have also questioned the polls, while Zimbabwe's opposition MDC plans to challenge them in court. ZANU-PF spokesperson Rugare Gambo dismisses all the complaints. It's all uh, set up to ensure that the voting was uh, tight and waterproof. So as far as we are concerned, the allegations are being made by people who lost the election. But the reality of the matter on the ground is that everything was done transparently. People voted in peace and tranquility. And uh, the elections were free and fair. And they were quite credible as far as we are concerned. American mediators are extending their visits to Cairo in an attempt to mediate between the Muslim Brotherhood and Egypt's interim authorities. Western and Arab states have been unsettled by the violence and deepening turmoil. Mel Frickberg reports. A number of key U.S. envoys have once again extended their stay in Egypt in the face of continuing political deadlock following the ouster of former President Morsi. In addition, U.S. Deputy Secretary of State William Burns has indefinitely extended his stay in Egypt. He had initially been scheduled to leave on Monday and had already announced an extension by one day. Furthermore, according to an unconfirmed Egyptian media report, U.S. President Barack Obama has agreed to meet with representatives from the Muslim Brotherhood to hear what they have to say on the current situation. Meanwhile, tens of thousands of supporters of ousted Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi remain undeterred in Cairo's Nasser city, calling for the restoration of the constitution and the reversal of the coup that deposed him. The protests come despite warnings by the National Defense Council to stop the continuation of the sit-ins. The Muslim Brotherhood says Morsi is the only person who can solve the mess in the North African country. This in reaction to U.S. Deputy Secretary of State William Burns' meeting with Muslim Brotherhood official Kirat al-Shatar in prison. 
Rwanda, Uganda and Kenya have agreed to the use of national identity cards as travel documents within the three East African community partner states with effect from January next year. However, the issuing process of the cards within these three countries still face some challenges. In Uganda, national identity cards have not yet been issued to all its citizens. Uganda's State Minister for East African Affairs, Shim Mingeni. Uganda has already started issuing uh, identity cards, but for purposes of uh, enabling people to move, we will use and we have agreed to use whatever identifications we have. For example, voters' cards will be used, passports will be used, student uh, identification cards will be used. The idea is that people should be able to move freely without any inhibitions. And finally, the United Nations is committed to ensuring that young people's voices are reflected in discussions on shaping the future. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon addressed hundreds of youth participating in a global initiative, a rather interactive dialogue taking place in the General Assembly Hall. He cited a global survey which shows young people's concerns include better job opportunities, a good education and increased efforts to tackle climate change. I'm fully committed to working with youth and exploring how you can contribute more to create a sustainable, equitable future of opportunity and dignity for all. United Nations is committed to make your voices heard and your voices be reflected in shaping the future better for all. Recapping the top stories, Zimbabwe's ANOPF defends its victory in last week's elections. American mediators extend their visits to Cairo to mediate between the Muslim Brotherhood and Egypt's interim authorities. And young people's voices are reflected in discussions on shaping the future. That's the news for the hour. Well, a very big thank you to Anne Musa for that news update here on African Dialogue. You tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Zikana Miso and the time has just gone six minutes. That's after 11. And of course, do remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're more than welcome to interact with us as always in today's topic. You may do so via Facebook and Twitter or you can simply SMS your views to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Now on our social networks on Facebook, you can go to our fan page, which is of course Channel Africa. And if you go to Twitter, you may use the handle at Channel Africa 1, that's at Channel Africa 1, and you may use the hashtag African Dialogue so that we're able to access your thoughts around today's particular topic. Now, let me remind you that at the moment we are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz, that are, that's on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. The expansion of democratic practices, greater domestic and international support for human rights and the emergence of a vigorous and independent civil society have all combined helped to improve the media climate. Yet in Africa, as elsewhere across the globe, problems remain around media freedom. Today, the Committee to Protect Journalists will be releasing a report on media transgressions in Tanzania and in line with this, we'll be zooming in on Tanzania and also looking at how other African 
African countries treat their media practitioners and the media climate as a whole in other parts of the continent. Now, joining us to discuss this particular issue, we have on the line, I believe, Tom Rhodes, who is an East African consultant at the Committee to Protect Journalists. Tom, are you on the line? Yes, thank you. Well, thank you for joining us, Tom. We also have Eloine Barry on the line, who is an executive director of the African Press Organization. Eloine, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning. Good morning, ma'am, and thank you for joining us here as we discuss this particular issue. Well, as I said to you, if you've just tuned in, you are tuned in to African Dialogue on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and today we're discussing media freedom on the African continent, particularly zooming in on Tanzania, which uh, the Committee to Protect Journalists has released a report on media transgressions in that part of the continent. Now, Tom, I'll kickstart with you. We all also do have, let me just say, we do have in studio um, a guest who is joining us. That's Mr. Peño Budale. Good morning, sir. How are you this morning? Uh, good morning. Good morning to the listeners. <laughs> That's not very convincing. That sigh <laughs> that you just gave. <laughs> Since that I, I had to rush in. Uh, not a problem. As long as you made it and you can actually uh, engage with us today as we unpack some of the issues that are involving uh, media freedom on the African continent. Now, Tom, I'm going to kickstart and I'm going to uh, pose the first question at you. Now, obviously, we were talking about this report that's coming out around transgressions in Tanzania, particularly around uh, media issues. Let's talk about this report and the contents thereof. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it's um, it, it, it sort of, for us, it seemed an important report to do um, at this time, especially considering the fact that Tanzania seems to be getting more and more kind of international attention, uh, especially from, from, you know, some of the superpowers like China and the U.S. Um, and, and Tanzania has had this sort of routinely positive report card, both uh, regionally and globally, for having uh, you know e- excellent press freedom. And, and that simply isn't the case. I mean, we're just seeing an, an increasing number of attacks, an increasing number of threats. And this is coupled, of course, with a whole uh, plethora of anti-press laws, which um, basically suppresses the press. And, it, and uh, we named the report the sort of the silent, uh, silent attack on the press because it, it is basically that. You know, very few people seem to realize the problems there. Now, Tom, obviously the problems that are facing Tanzania specifically are not isolated to only Tanzania. I'm going to bring in Mr. Budala here and say, you know, let's just give a, a continental view of really what is going on around Africa in terms of media freedom. I mean, Mr. Rhodes was just citing some of the issues that are plaguing Tanzania at this particular uh, stage. But Mr. Budali, can you just give us a picture of maybe some of the issues that we're dealing with across the continent? Thank you very much. I think um, uh, what, what is happening in, in, in Tanzania uh, is pretty much uh, what we see in terms of uh, the much of uh, the, 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 the bulk of Africa. When you look at uh, the Southern African region, for example, you have countries like South Africa, countries like Botswana, who routinely get uh, positive reports 
you know, uh, reports and accolades from these uh, whoever does the, 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 the studies. But you, you increasingly see a trend uh, of law and you know uh, unfriendly media unfriendly laws um, that really do a lot of damage to media freedom. You know, in South Africa, we are talking a lot about the recent laws in Botswana. Um, you know, they've just uh, enacted a law uh, uh, that 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 really takes uh, the country backwards in terms of the freedom of uh, of, of the media but this silent attack i think uh, it's in, it, it's interesting that um, the you know reports coming out of tanzania uh, has come at this time because uh, we have in the past been focusing on physical attack on the media you know saying how many journalists were attacked during the in in, in the performance of their work uh, but you know uh, governments have now become smarter and they've come up with laws that uh, would affect and stop journalists from doing that work, which will still have the same impact in terms of media freedom. But uh, you still see uh, a lot of attacks on the media when you go uh, to other regions of Africa, more, more especially war-torn areas. You still see physical uh, you know, attacks. You still see uh, we have received very disturbing news also from from Zambia of recent uh, and, and uh, news that are, are also uh, disturbing from Zimbabwe for you know, and uh, route to the elections. So these, you you, you have a, a picture, a worrying picture, uh, in terms of the continental view, uh, where uh, you have a mixture of actual physical attacks on journalists and uh, um, and and a plethora of media and friendly laws that are are being enacted uh, more more and more, uh, you know, in the continent. Well, that is uh, Mr. Peño Budali there, who's just giving us a brief breakdown of exactly what is taking place around um, the continent when it comes to some of these issues that are plaguing uh, the media in terms of what's happening in the continent. Well, if you've just tuned in, we're talking media freedom in uh, Africa, and we are zooming in on situations in places like Tanzania. Uh, Mr. Budali just mentioned Botswana right now, you know, citing a law which he says has just come in there, which might just, you know, take them... Uh, 10 steps back in terms of their media freedom there in Botswana. Well, this is African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Zikona Miso, and of course we are doing this until the top of the hour. We are also joined on the line by Tom Rhodes, who is an East African consultant at the Committee to Protect Journalists, as well as Elowin Barry, who is an Executive Director of the African Press Organization. Now, uh, Elowin, let me bring you in here. Uh, Mr. Budale was citing um, some issues around Botswana, specifically around a law um, which he says will set the country back in terms of its, of its media freedom. Your take on this? Elowin, are you there? Yes, I am. Sorry, I think there's a slight delay. Um, no, uh, I, I want to speak specifically about Botswana, but I think um, on a more Pan-African uh, sort of idea and the initiative that are being launched now by the Pan-African Parliament, for example, I think these are positive and encouraging um, um, solutions. And I think that the fact that parliamentary is a member of governments across the continent take um, the issue of media freedom seriously is something that is encouraging. 
Um, I think obviously um, we need on the governmental side to act on it, but also making sure that this project and this issue is being taken care on a sort of collaborative um, side. So everyone should really sit down together and um, private sector, uh, NGOs, public sector, organizations like ours, and take that issue very, very seriously and work on making sure that the media do get um, improved working conditions, are protected during period of elections, uh, um, and, that, and that they can actually work um, the, way they, the way they are supposed to work, and, and, and basically um, ensuring that what happens and the fear and self-censorship and what is going on at the moment is stops stops being stops being replicated in other regions of the of the country of the continent. Now, Elouine, not too long ago, the Pan-African Parliament launched the Media Freedom uh, Campaign across the continent. This was at their last sitting, which they had in South Africa this year. Now, this was titled Press Freedom for Development and Governance, a Need to Reform. Now, does this particular current draft actually meet the requirements which you have just cited, as well as Mr. Butale and uh, Mr. Rhodes? I think it, it does. Um, I mean, the, the most important thing um, to highlight, really, is that the media um, at the moment suffer in terms of um, getting paid properly and having conditions of, of working conditions um, um, uh, better. So the, these, these are being in the draft, and this is something that should definitely be looked into and be um, set as a priority. I think then, of course, enforcing um, governance and, and setting up an award is always something that is encouraging um, because it can be replicated on a Pan-African scale and we can engage more and more countries on this. So I think the current draft is interesting. Now let's see how this is put in place and let's see how other actors can actually um, uh, fit in and sort of help towards that direction. Now, I'm going to come back to Mr. Budala. Mr. Budala, you mentioned South Africa and Botswana um, specifically, just putting um, a focus on them, you know, mentioning that um, they have received, you know, accolades and uh, in terms of some positive feedback when it comes to the way that media is run in those two countries on the continent. But you also then mentioned um, some sort of like negativity that is, uh, has been faced towards them. Can you elaborate a bit on that? And for those of us who are listening, our listeners who are none the wiser about some of the laws that have been put, which you've cited, saying that they may have a negative impact on them. If you can just touch on those and just give us a clarity in that regard. Yes, um, I think um, in, in, the, in the case of Botswana, there is a new uh, legislation called the Botswana Communications Regulatory Act um, that uh, was opposed uh, vehemently by media groups in the country. Um, that talks about, you know, th- th- that was, uh, uh, you know, replacing a law that was seen to be progressive, that was talking about uh, public service broadcasting in terms of transforming a state media into public service broadcasting, which is the um, international uh, accepted standard. Um, this new law now talks about state media, uh, which 
as you know, uh, it's 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 really a colonial style kind of uh, arrangement that we really need to move away from. Um, and, and this new law again uh, has done away with provisions for things like community media. Uh, this new law again heaps a lot of uh, power on on the minister, which which then uh, really affects the independence of the regulatory body and and as a result of the media. There are many other is- issues that. Uh, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, practitioners had with the law. But, you know, when you look at South Africa, we have had a long, uh, as, as the Freedom of Expression Institute, uh, we were part of uh, the campaign against the, the, the protection of state information or the secrecy bill, which uh, is now, you know, on the president's table, uh, that... You know, even though the, the 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 version that was adopted by Parliament was vastly improved, uh, it still had problems, and and problems such as inadequate, uh, uh, um, you know, protection for whistleblowers, for example, which is a huge problem. Uh, you know, once whistleblowers are not protected, issues of transparency, issues of fighting corruption, good governance fly out of the window. And I think uh, the problem that I I I wanted to highlight here is that uh, it's worrying when. You see uh, stable democracies like Botswana, like South Africa, who are supposed to be leading in 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 in, in terms of uh, uh, protecting uh, and and entrenching media freedom. If they take such regressive steps, then we are going to have a, a negative impact. And when you look at the initiative of the Pan African Parliament, uh, which I'm very excited about, um, you know, but I'm, one would like to then uh, also caution that you see the same governments that are supposed to then embrace this are the same that are coming up with this kind of aggressive laws and and you 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 then see that the road towards uh, press freedom or the road towards achieving the objectives of the pan-african parliament initiative isn't going to be so smooth well, that is the uh, Mr. Peño Budale, who is with the Freedom of Expression Institute. Um, well, you, time has just gone 21 minutes after 11. That is Central African time. You're still tuned in to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. When we come back, we're still discussing media freedom on the continent, and we'll be zooming in on some of the suggested um, uh, ways in which uh, the delegates here on our panel think can be used to sort of curb some of the issues which they've cited, which are plaguing the continent at this time with regards to their media freedom. This is African Dialogue on Channel Africa. Don't go away. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
welcome back to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. My name is Zikona Miso and we are currently on the frequency 9625 kHz. That's on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Time has just gone 23 minutes after 11 and that is of course Central African time. On the show today we are discussing media freedom on the continent, zooming in particularly on Tanzania and other parts of the continent. Earlier we were talking about Botswana as well as South Africa. Uh, Mr. Peño Budal there from the Freedom of Expression um, Institute, citing that those are the two countries which should be sort of spearheading uh, in terms of media freedom, but he says that they are dealing with some laws which may inhibit uh, the growth in that regard. But now let's just look back on some of our files in terms of some of the things that have been happening around the continent with regards to media freedom. Two Ugandan journalists working for an independent American television and radio network who have been freed by authorities in South Sudan this after spending after they had spent four nights in detention for allegedly filming strategic places in the capital Juba without permission. James Shimanyula has more. The journalists that were freed by the authorities in South Sudan are Justin Dralanze and Hilary Ayagisa. Both worked for the United States-based television and radio station known as Feature Story News, FSN. They were arrested in the capital Juba as they filmed the strategic places in preparation for producing a feature on the country. Speaking shortly before leaving Juba for home in Uganda, where they are based one of the journalists, Justin Dralaze, described the condition of the place where they were detained. At the start was a bit hush-hush. Uh, we were rushed into a car, taken in. From the time we were detained, we have not really had uh, like physical contact with the security apart from being called out for briefing and then taken back into the cells. Dralaze reiterated that he and his colleague Hilary Ayegisa were not mistreated while in custody. I don't want to start judging the security of Southern Sudan. That's not for me. What I'm happy about is finally I'm out and I'm going back home. But Dralazi's colleague Hilary Ayegisa declined to speak, saying he was still recovering mentally following the four nights that they spent in detention in Juba. The authorities in Juba did not say why they freed the journalists without charging them in court, bearing in mind that the laws in the country prohibit journalists from filming unless officially permitted to do so by the Ministry of Information. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Now, those are just some of the incidents that we are talking about here as we discuss media freedom across the continent. That's, of course, just one scenario which took place here on the continent. Now, I'm going to move to you, Mr. Rhodes, uh, once again, who is an East African consultant at the Committee to Protect Journalists. Now, when you hear, I mean, of such a report uh, about uh, journalists having been detained and just going through a series of um, of, of undesirable, so to speak, um, uh, scenarios uh, at just uh, for for, for basically doing uh, their job what kind of message does it really send um, uh, does it send out there to the protectionists themselves first of all and of course to the society at large in terms of the media freedom yeah I mean it's a good question and maybe we can use South Sudan as, as a template uh, for this example I mean look in, in, in the past two weeks I've recorded uh, seven cases of the security uh, arbitrarily arresting local journalists on the ground and then releasing them without charge. And uh, 
it, it sends a chilling message to, to everyone. It sends a chilling message both to the local press that they can't cover issues without this kind of harassment. But it also tells a, you know, a larger picture to the, to the society at large that, um, that, that basic you know, laws are not being followed and, and therefore you have to toe the line of, of the authorities. Um, but yeah, it's not just South Sudan. These cases of arbitrary detentions are occurring all over East Africa. I mean, you know, whether it's in Burundi or whether it's in Uganda. I mean, one week prior to that, we had an American uh, filmmaker, a freelance filmmaker, Taylor Krauss, uh, detained for you know over three days in, in Uganda again without any charge. And of course, that can have a, a ripple effect because once you start detaining uh, foreign correspondents as well as local correspondents. Uh, again, it sends this chilling message. Well, Tin, let's look at Tanzania once more. Um, Tom, you were quoted as saying that the government of Tanzania's crackdown on freedom of press and expression is a clear indication that the government feels threatened ahead of the 2015 presidential and parliamentary elections. Can you just take us through some of these thoughts? What informs this particular view in your in in in, in your words? Sure, sure. I mean, and thank you for for bringing this up. I mean, it's um, you know, Tanzania is, is is unique in the sense that the, the ruling party. Well, not not totally unique, of course. I mean, there's, there's other countries as well, but at least for the the East African region, it, it's unique in the sense that it's it's had the same ruling party in in power uh, since independence, and they've never really had any sort of strong challengers until now. And, and I believe actually now the opposition is is making inroads into the rural areas, etc. And, and I think they feel threatened. And, and unfortunately, the, the press is usually the, the, the first victim of this kind of political insecurity. Uh, again, I don't want to pick on South Sudan, but it, it, it's a similar sort of situation there where you've had uh, a ruling party which has, has always had sort of ground-swelling support from the populace, and now that support is slowly waning. And, and of course, the first people that they crack down on are the press. Now, obviously, as we were having this discussion, all, um, all of the guests here just citing a lot of the issues that are plaguing the continent when it comes to media freedom thereof. Um, Elowin, I'm just going to come to you and just ask you, in your view, you know, as a representative of the African Press Organization, what is it that needs to be done to sort of curb these problems or find some form of middle ground? I think, um, I think we are, it's, it's, uh, it's it's an interesting time that we are that we are experiencing at the moment on the continent. Um, there's been some drastic changes. Obviously, um, the internet helping different channels um, and different ways for journalists and for anyone really to express their to express their, their thoughts, to comment, um, and to basically share their voice. So I think this is an interesting time in terms of the emergence of social media, blogging platforms, who do play a dramatic role in these changes. Um, so I think we should definitely encourage anyone um, to participate online and to voice, comment, um, uh, share stories, um, share pictures, share videos, uh, everything that, that can be basically done to spread um, the voice of the media. But also I, I strongly believe that the citizens should play a role in that, in, in that freedom of speech because it's not only down to the press, it's also down to anyone to actually express their, their concern and their and their their ideas. So this is um, this is an interesting time. But then if we want to come back to um, what 
the, the media landscape of Africa and, and basically how it was sort of um, done in the past. Um, a lot of um, state-owned media, you know, and journalists were in the majority are still senior journalists at the moment and they're still really active um, in the African press. Um, and these journalists were um, believed that journalism should should be a reflection of, of state activity. Um, many of them were trained uh, in the old Eastern Bloc, um, where obviously transparency was something almost impossible to achieve. So now with business booming, um, Africa being at the core of the discussions in global companies' boardrooms, uh, also seeing drastic changes in cities like Dar es Salaam, to talk about Tanzania again, journalists and, and most particularly business journalists have, have a lot to catch up on. So I think this, this is an interesting time. I mm. think we should push for obviously more training, and, and I'm sure we'll come back to that later. But um, um, all, all, all these different new channels and ways to express ourselves will, will lead to more freedom. It has to. Mr. Rhodes, you were nodding there. I heard you. <laughs> Do you want to add something? Uh, no, not, not really. I, I just, just sort of agree with what my colleague is saying there. Um, I think maybe if, if I could add one thing, I, I think one thing that really needs to be done, and, and, and she's quite right, you know, the, 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 there seems to be a, uh, a divergence between the journalist and the reporter and the editors and the media owners, and, and quite often they're at loggerheads, um, especially here in the East African region. And uh, one thing I'd like, you know, as working at CPJ, I'm often quite sort of depressed at how little uh, support, actual genuine support, editors and media owners provide to their journalists when they're in trouble or when they're trying to cover something sensitive. Um, and I think one thing we should do is, as media institutions and press freedom institutions is, is try to collaborate and work much more closer with media owners associations uh, to see how we can make uh, a much more of a, a stronger commitment by the editors and owners uh, towards their own staff. Now, Mr. Butale, um, Eloine Barry was citing, you know, uh, social networks, using social media for people to sort of uh, shout, lack of a better word, you know, for the things that are happening. She's saying people should post pictures, should, you know, get their messages across through the different uh, mediums. What's your view in this regard? And in essence, what is the role of, I mean, an institute like yours, which is Freedom of Expression Institute, what is the role, what is your role in situations like this? Obviously, um, our role and uh, is is to you know ensure that uh, we broaden the space you know for for uh, journalists and and for general citizens to express themselves and 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 to ensure that we we come to the defence of freedom of expression as and when we are needed to. Um, I I think that when you you know uh, when you talk about uh, social media um, it is upon us and I think it is important that as journalists we then also now uh, train, get training in terms of ensuring that we are able to maximize on this uh, very important tool um, not only as a platform but also uh, as, as, as a means of uh, you know getting information and, and sharing information and ensuring that there is debate but um, 
you know, media or uh, as we know it uh, in terms of, say, print media and stuff uh, would not survive if we if not in, in you know uh, incorporated into or infused with uh, uh, social media because once you know you're waiting for a weekly newspaper uh, you know a headline has already hit the the social uh, media but i think my my fear here is uh, what I think will become much more uh, of a trend in terms of uh, legislation that seeks to control uh, uh, communication uh, through uh, the media in terms of uh, we see that more organizations like uh, uh, Freedom of Expression Institute are looking more at uh, um, safeguarding freedom of expression or media freedom on, on the cyberspace. You know, I know that the law that I was speaking to, uh, speaking about uh, from Botswana, you know, attempts to you know have some sort of a control over uh, internet communication and it says that um uh, uh, lo- looking at a particular instance, uh, the regulator can then be uh, uh, ordered to give preference to certain communication over the other. So I think we, we are going to see uh, now the battleground moving towards that kind of space as governments realize uh, that the space is becoming more useful, not only to journalists, but also to citizens and citizen journalists, as, as it were. Mr. Bujale, what is, in your view, what is it that needs to be done to actually assist in, in solving some of these problems that all three of um, all of you have actually um, uh, spoken about? I mean, uh, Tom Rhodes was just talking now about there being a lack of support from sort of the entities that these journalists are working for or the employers in that sense, the editors, uh, that when the journalists find themselves in sort of a bind, when they are in, in trouble uh, covering certain stories, I mean, look at the situation that we just played now um, there with the two Ugandan journalists that there's really no support for them. What is it that needs to be done in your view to sort of sort out these issues uh, that um, affect uh, particularly the journalists on the ground? Well, I agree that there's need for more collaboration between um, institutions like ours uh, and uh, media owners uh, associations because we have had instances, many instances where journalists have come to us uh, because they feel isolated. They, uh, you know, they are facing huge defamation cases, and their employers can do nothing to to support them. So I think there is need for a much more deeper dialogue in terms of how we do we face this. Not only do we have this in in, in mainstream media, for example, we have uh, in South Africa, for example, an increasing uh, number of cases faced by uh, community media. You know, who are we, we had one case in. Popo, for example, where a news community newspaper was uh, sued for three million, and basically what you're saying there is close shop, and you are silencing all uh, all the voices that you know you know found expression through that medium. So I think there is need to have a, a, a meaningful dialogue over this issue, but also I think there is there is also. Uh, a, a very very uh, pertinent issue that 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 revolves around uh, uh, you know political will uh, to have you know and and genuineness in terms of uh, accepting media uh, 
freedom or press freedom as 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 an important uh, part uh, or a pivotal role you know as, as having a pivotal role to play in any democracy because i think sometimes uh, we have seen our political leadership playing lip service to this and then you know you know playing to the gallery at times and saying that uh, we believe that the media uh, we believe in press freedom while at the you know practically they are coming up we are putting up uh, in place all sorts of uh, infringements all sorts of laws that work against the very principle well, that is Mr. Peña Budale there who's citing that the government, in essence, doesn't really play its role in terms of giving the freedom to the media. We're talking about media freedom in the African continent. We've touched on Tanzania, we've looked at Botswana, South Africa, and a lot of the different other parts of the continent where uh, issues around media are still plaguing these parts of the continent. The time has just gone 20 minutes, uh, that is before the top of the hour. You're still tuned into African dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And let me remind you that you are more than welcome to also send your views to us. You may do so via our Facebook fan page, which you will find if you search for Channel Africa on there. On Twitter, you may find us on at Channel Africa 1. That's at Channel Africa 1. And you may hashtag African Dialogue. Or you can simply SMS your views to plus 27823325905. I do know that this is a topic which many people do feel really passionate about because they all feel affected by it in one way or the other. So even when our guests are done here, you know that the dialogue never stops here on African Dialogue. We can still direct those messages through them via the social media like Mr. Budali was urging uh, people to start using that platform uh, to express themselves. He is, of course, um, uh, he is, of course, representing the Freedom of Expression Institute here on African Dialogue this morning. To you, our guests, please stay on the line. After this, we'll be wrapping up our discussion here on African Dialogue. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. Well, if you've just just tuned in, you have missed out on a big chunk of our discussion here because we are going to be getting closing remarks now from our guests who are joining us as we discuss media freedom on the African continent here on African Dialogue. But don't despair. You do know that the dialogue never stops here. You're more than welcome to still send us your sentiments and your messages and we will make sure that they get through to our particular guests and maybe they'll be able to give some answers to those pertinent questions that you would like to be asked, you may do so by finding us on Facebook and Twitter or SMSing to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five on Twitter. Please do use the hashtag African Dialogue so that we'll be able to access those questions. Just in closing now, Mr. Tom Rhodes, your closing remarks on this particular topic today. Um, well, you know, I, I guess if, if we're going to do a survey of, of press freedom in Africa, I, I feel as if we're doing sort of one step forward in one country and then one step backward in the next. I mean, uh, 
we've seen in the past six months uh, several countries issuing new and, and promising uh, media laws, but at the same time we've seen at least two or three examples of countries passing uh, the exact opposite, rather draconian ones, which worry us uh, considerably. Um, and the number of threats and, and attacks on the press are similar, if not more, than what we saw in 2012. So if, if and a closing remark, I guess the, the report card is, is relatively the same, but we must keep our eyes open at all times. And over to you, um, Eloine. Um, I'd like to, to probably end on a more positive note, but it's true that I'd, I'd, I'd like to sort of comment on the fact that Africa needs to value their journalists, um, needs to value their newspapers. Um, journalists are still too poorly paid, and journalism is unfortunately still perceived as the greatest profession to do. It doesn't attract the best graduates and the best students. So I think um, it is a lot of collaboration that needs to be done to make sure that um, changes are done through training, capacity building, engaging all actors from government, NGOs, international organizations, to collaborate together on providing more training and more support um, to to the journalists on the continent. Uh, It could be from companies using their over the CSR activities, providing computers to a newsroom. It could be through um, awarding a journalist on a particular subject. It could be uh, launching a call for call for papers. There's so many ways to uh, build capacity um, amongst the journalist community um, in this very, very exciting time that Africa is facing. And over to you, Mr. Budali. Um, I think, uh, yes, they've said it all. There is need for uh, collaboration in terms of ensuring that there's, uh, you know, training and further capacitation. Our newsrooms are getting younger and younger as people leave journalism for better paying jobs and stuff like <laughs> that. That is going to be with us for a number of uh, years. So we need to have programs that continuously uh, uh, capacitate the journalists. But I think also uh, I, I still insist that there is need for a change of attitude from our leadership in terms of how they view the media. The media are not an enemy. The media are partners in development and if they are viewed as such, then our countries will benefit. Uh, Efforts such as the Pan-African Parliament should um, uh, be taken uh, together with uh, the move for an access to information laws uh, in Africa because access to information is the oxygen to to our democracies. Thank you. Well, that was Mr. Peña Budale there, who is representing the Freedom of Expression Institute here on African Dialogue. Also on the line was Mr. Tom Rhodes, who's an East African consultant at the Committee to Protect Journalists, as well as Eloine Barry, an executive director of the African Press Organization. We'd like to take this moment to thank all of our guests for joining us today and just shedding some light on some of the issues uh, plaguing media freedom on the African continent. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, with that, it's time for us to check what's happening in our economics here on African Dialogue with Wisani Matebula.
Good morning, Zikona. Bartley's Bank of Kenya says peaceful presidential elections and a more stable economic environment should lead to a better second half after its first half profit was hit by a once-off payment for early retirement costs. Although the bank is one of the oldest in the country, it has seen its earnings grow at a slower pace than its rivals in recent years as its model of focusing on wealthier clients was challenged by homegrown lenders like Equity Bank. The Butler's Bank of Kenya says first-half profit dropped to $63 million, but it will have been flat for the period at $6.3 billion, bearing the once-off cost. Nigeria is gradually opening up to Islamic finance, a move that could bring non-interest banking to over 80 million Muslims and develop one of Africa's fastest-growing consumer and corporate banking sectors. In recent months, a string of regulatory initiatives have set the groundwork for products such as Islamic bonds. The Abuja-based Jais now plans to obtain a national license to expand operations beyond Nigeria's north, which has been hit by an Islamist insurgency. Despite the challenges, Jais has grown its branch network to 10 from an initial of 3, with ambitious expansion plans calling for 100 branches by 2017. In Zimbabwe, stock prices have tumbled sharply, reflecting mounting worries over troubled economy after President Robert Mugabe won bitterly disputed elections. The Zimbabwe Stock Exchange says uh, some of the nation's top companies have lost up to 20% of their share price on the first day, full day of trading yesterday. This was the biggest fall since the last violent and disputed elections in 2008. Soon after those elections, the country abandoned its own currency and adopted the US dollar to stop world record inflation. Rwandan traders have welcomed Kenya's move to automate its customs entry points. According to a new policy, all border points will switch to automated electronic systems effective on the 31st of October this year to eliminate bureaucracy and cargo clearing. The move has been hailed by local traders who say it will boost regional business by reducing the cost of doing import and export trade. According to the Association of Freight Forwards and Clearing Agents, Rwanda, which is Kenya's trade policies, directly impact on uh, local business because Rwanda's major imports go through Mombasa port. Multiline International Rwanda has noted that customs efficiency creates confidentiality between clearing agents and traders and reduces uh, the cost of uh, doing trade. And uh, finally, the Kenyan government has revoked uh, mining licenses issued during the first five months of the year. Mining Secretary Najib Balala says the licenses were cancelled following complaints that they were irregularly allocated. Soroki Mauni reports. The mining sector in Najib Balala had earlier in the year promised to review the country's mining laws. There are about 300 international and local registered mining companies in Kenya. The country has proven deposits of titanium, gold and coal. During a press conference held in Nairobi on Monday, Balala said the country would also raise mineral royalties in order to get maximum benefits from the trade. Financial indicators this hour, the dollar trading at 9.8840, the rand at 0.65 to the British pound and at 0.75 to the euro. One US dollar is worth 8.38 Botswana pules and 5.43 Zambian quaches. Commodities platinum trading at $1,448.25 and gold at $1,304.15 a fine ounce. The price of Brent crude oil now is at $109.11 per barrel. That's your economics news for now.
Let's post update this hour. Springbok coach Henneke Meyer says he knows how influential Fori Dupree will be in the upcoming Castle Rugby Championship. Meyer has named a squad of 21 players and says he included Dupree because he knows he will add a lot of value to the squad. Our rugby analyst, Willem Strauss, sheds more light on the team. I think a very good uh, combination of experience and youth. He obviously had to go for some, some overseas-based players due to the huge uh, loss of talent that we're having in this country by players leaving for overseas. And I guess the, the interesting inclusion is that of uh, Farida Priya, the 31-year-old former Springbok and Blue Bulls Kramov, who is now applying his strike in Japan with Santori, the Japanese club there. Uh, very interesting to see that he's included for him. There's even talks of him maybe playing a bigger role in terms of coaching-wise uh, down the line in, in his career. So uh, interesting to see that. Uh, for him, is definitely still in top shape. He's been playing very good rugby in Japan. Although, you know, there's a school of thought that think that uh, the Japanese club rugby might not be up to the up to the caliber of, what, uh, of, of, of the, some of the other top leagues in the world. But anyway, it's a good, good squad, and hopefully uh, the Springboks, you know, last year the All Blacks won the rugby championship by beating us twice in New Zealand and at, uh, in Soweto at, at Soccer City, so hopefully the Springboks this year can turn it around. And in football news, the Uganda will play Egypt in a friendly match on the 14th of August. Both teams will be using the game as preparation for the world qualifiers scheduled for next month. The match will be played at Elgona Stadium in the coastal town of Elgona, about 430 kilometers from Cairo in Egypt. Channel Africa's Sam Boza is in Kampala, Uganda, and filed this report. The Uganda national team coach, Micho, has uh, invited a team of 31 players to start training ahead of the international friendly game against Egypt in, in Egypt next week on, uh, on Wednesday 14th. They will be playing in preparation for the, their World Cup qualifier against Senegal that is coming up on 7th September. Among the key players that are summoned before this duty, um, goalkeeper Denis Nyango, who plays in South Africa. There's also goalkeeper Odonka, who, who plays in Ethiopia. Another goalkeeper from Tanzania playing for Zimba FC called Abe Daira. Of course, Mitchell has also invited another young player who is going to be playing with the national team for the first time. This player is called Ibla Sekaja. He has gone up in England and right now, as we speak, he plays for Crystal Palace. Another, some other players, of course, these are the usual players that are on the national team. However, some other players who had been dropped last year due to poor performance have also been recorded. And the opening weekend of the South African APSA Premiership has placed referees under the spotlight early in the season. The referees stole the focus and limelight from the players, leaving coaches fuming over dubious decisions. Bloemfontein Celtic coach Clinton Larson and Freestyle Stars coach Steve Compella blasted the officials during their team's PSL opening matches at the weekend. Screaming at Daniel Volkhoff, Larson said his handling of the match confirms what people have been saying about Chiefs, Pirates and Sundowns being favoured. Compella took a swipe at Victor Gomez saying, with referees like these, who needs an opponent? The South African Referees Committee meets today to assess the performance of match officials after the opening round of the PSL. And the first female president of Sierra Leone's Football Federation, Isha Johansson, says her election signified the dawn of a new era in the sport and vowed to boost the women's game. A local committee set up by FIFA disqualified former Inter Milan and Monaco striker Mohamed Kalon for not being a resident of Sierra Leone, while Rodney Michael and Fodei Toure were ruled out due to gambling links. Johansson, who founded and runs the Sierra Leone Premier League side FC Johansson, 
with a Norwegian husband, Annie Bigger Johansson, says the disqualification followed the law and has appealed for unity in the sport. Finally, South African professional golfer George Kutia says he's looking forward to this week's Vodacom Origins of Golf Series on the Sunshine Tour in Cape Town. Kutia says taking part in the tournament is not about prize money but about lifting the trophy. Michael Flissmas reports. George Kutsia, who won his first tournament on the Vodacom Origins of Golf Series, that's the focus of the local Sunshine Tour this week, is hoping for another first in this week's PGA Championship. A first major victory is Kutsia's focus as he looks towards the final major of this year. It was nice playing in the US Open and making the cut and the British Open making the cut, getting to play on the weekend and picking up a lot of experience and learning about myself. It's kind of what it's what we what we live for. I mean, the money is great and everything, but major trophies is what it's all about. Michael Flismas, Cape Town. That's a sport news this hour. Thank you to Figile Lingwati for that sports update. And before that was Wisani Matebula telling us all about our money matters there in our economics update. We also thank him for that update. Well, it brings us now to the end of this installment of African Dialogue. We'd like to once again thank our guests for joining us today and shedding some light on today's topic as we were discussing media freedom across the continent. Now, do remember the dialogue never stops here. Be sure to communicate your views with us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle on Twitter is at Channel Africa One, and you may use the hashtag African Dialogue so we can access what is going through your mind around some of these topics. Or you can simply SMS us to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at eleven hundred hours Central African time. From me, Zikana Miso, it's adios until tomorrow. Next up is Africa Midday with Benjamin Mushatama.